Welcome again to Living Waters. I am Ryan, and uh, it is a joy for me to be here and to teach this morning as we continue, as we finish, as we finish our uh, series on Acts. Uh, we call it Communities of Transformation. Uh, if you want to turn to Acts 27, what's that? Yeah, uh, no, yeah, middle school. It's all there. I'm just trying to get people in the right spot in the Bible. <laughs> Middle schoolers, you can go. Um, turn to Acts 27. Acts 27 and 28 uh, really go together. And I looked at uh, the beginning of this series, um, April 2021. Yeah, we started in April of 2021. So it's been an incredible, it's been a lot of terrain that we have covered, uh, biblically, but also in our lives and in our lives as community uh, since we began this, this delving into Acts where we felt like the Spirit of God was saying, I want to show you what a community of transformation did on the earth, and I want you to respond to that challenge as with the questions of what does it look like for us to be a community of transformation? And then what does it look like as individuals to surround ourselves with communities, with friendships, with relationships and families and homes and groups of friends that are also working towards that same goal of bringing Jesus's transformation both to our hearts, but also through us. To what degree is our faith in Jesus about us and to what degree is it about others? And I, and I think that you can't really parcel it out because it is so intertwined that the more that Jesus is the center of my life, the more that transformation works its way out to the world around us. And I believe that's what we have been challenged in as we've looked at this, this story of the early believers and the communities that, that they created that were Jesus-centered, transformational, miraculous, faith-filled communities of people. Uh, and so as we wrap up today on Acts 27 and 28, um, we're going to do that, and then we're going to come back together, as I said, for a little bit of a time of worship. Today, um, some highlights for you. Um, just a heads up, a continued heads up, and an invitation. Our Community Life Sunday, which is the last Sunday of every month where we don't have our regular 10 a.m. corporate gathering, but we do something as a, as a group of people or we do something with our community groups and uh, building community, but also impacting community. And, and so this one landed on October 30th. So we wanted to do a trunk retreat for the kids in Living Waters, but also for uh, the Liberty Park neighborhoods that we've been reaching out to so much the last few weeks. So we're going to be canvassing and inviting the neighbors in the neighborhoods to come over, and we're going to put out our trunk or treat, carnival, festival, whatever, um, over by the white tent and that nice grass we have over there that you never have to water or cut. Um, and uh, so we want to invite you a couple things. Donate candy so that we can give it away. Uh, two, bring your car. Come up with an idea. It doesn't have to be elaborate. Bring your car. Uh, come up with a fun idea and turn your car into a little trunk or treat where kids can come and say hi to you and maybe play a game or see you in your costume, get some and, and trick or treat around to the different cars. And we just want to love on people that way um, and, and be a part of this community that we are, this neighborhood that we're here in. And then also just as a fun way to get to know folks and make connections, we're doing a park day this afternoon at 12 o'clock over at Fickner Manwaring or Stewart Park um, off of Stewart there and uh, that's at 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock you're welcome, you're invited bring a blanket, bring a picnic 
we'll play some volleyball, some frisbee, or we'll just sit and lounge and relax in the nice, cool, crisp fall weather. Um, <laughs> this is my prophetic flannel. And I'm already sweating. It wasn't prophetic enough. Um, goodness gracious. I'm ready for fall. But whether it's fall, it's, it's beautiful weather. So if you would like to come out and, uh, and hang out with some of our team and, uh, and, and some, some folks that are going to be over there just relaxing and enjoying getting to know one another, Victor Manwaring Park at 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock today. Um, very casual. Uh, come, and, come and be there with us. Um, okay, so Acts 27. We see in this journey we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks is Paul's level of contentment that really led him through some very, very challenging and difficult seasons as we've wrapped up the, the, the story of Acts. Um, but Paul had a couple things that we believe were at the root of his contentment. How could he say, I've learned to be content in all situations? How, how did he come to that place? One, he had a, a prophetic directive from the Lord of saying, this is what my life is for. This is what my life is being spent for. And this is what my life is being poured out for. So when he had that as a core of his being, it allowed him to live in contentment because he wasn't striving for a whole lot of different things. He had that focus. This is what God has assigned and put on, uh, on my life to do moving forward. And because of that, he had this clarity of vision and purpose that he was there to teach people and show people Jesus. And, and what is so challenging and powerful about Paul, the place that Paul came to by the end of, the, of Acts, that he came to this place where he knew that his life was already laid down. And anything that happened would just be for Jesus's glory and for his purposes. And he was like, I know that my life on earth is coming to a rapid close. I'm not going to be here much longer. And in that place of full surrender, you'd think, man, I would, I would maybe approach that with a lot of fear. I would approach that with like trying to hold on to every single last thing if I knew that my time was coming to an end. But Paul had this it seemed like it just continually shifted his reality to more and more simply having this place of deep and profound faith because his life was fully laid down. And, and I know that we say, lay your life down for Jesus. And we go, yeah, lay my life down for Jesus because we're obviously thinking about, and I'm going to be around here for another 60, 70, 80, 90 years. And so it's this sort of vague, like, yes, I'll lay my life down for Jesus. Paul had prophetic words and visions that were being given to him of arrested in chains and, and his life being exempt, that his life would end. And so his laying his life down for Jesus simply brought him to this profound place of like, it's, it's almost over and all I have is just following Jesus and I'm gonna go and do the things that he's asked me to do. And I think because of that, you see the supernatural faith that's born in absolute dependence and, and being resigned to the purpose that God had assigned to his life. And we get to experience that in these, in these last couple stories of Paul's life. There's such great liberation that we see in Paul as he says his goodbye to the people. If you remember back a few chapters, he's saying goodbye to his friends in these communities that he's planted and there's weeping and there's tears as he says goodbye because they know as well, this is the last time we're gonna see Paul. And, and this freedom that he walks out of in that goodbye. And now listen, I'm not saying that, that we need to say goodbye to everything and cut everything off and, and you know go and do that. I'm simply looking at Paul's life and saying it's, it's a pretty profound reality when he's saying his goodbyes and he's walking in freedom into the next season that God has for him without holding on to a whole bunch of expectations. 
So because his life was already laid down for Jesus, his message was to proclaim Jesus, this reality became a key for him to be able to have this unshakable faith no matter what happened next. And what happened next was uh, him being put on a ship to head to Rome. And, and so I want to talk about Acts 27 just for a minute. It's this, this story of this past of him going to Rome on a ship, and there is these moments with God, and there's a storm that comes, and there's a shipwreck that comes, and all these different things that happen in Acts 27 as Paul is heading towards his trial before Caesar in Rome. And so you have this passage, uh, Acts 27, it's all about this voyage, um, he understands from God as he's been praying and, and he says to the, the captain of the ship that he ends up on in verse 10, he says, hey, um, I don't think this is a good idea for us to, to be sailing. Now, obviously, Paul is not a sailor. He is dealing with more of a, uh, an inclination or a word from the Lord where he's like, Ugh, I don't have a good feeling about this. And they go, oh, Paul, what do you know? And then later in like verse 21, he gets to be, hey, you remember that time that I told you guys that we shouldn't have been sailing? our ship across this, uh, this water. Well, guess what? I was right. And so, um, but we'll get, we'll get to that. I'm just, it's interesting that Paul has this inclination because of his connection with the Lord. Again, going back to that deep seated faith of dependence where he has laid down his life and he's just listening to the Lord. Now in verse 11, we, we find out that, the, that of course the sailors didn't listen to Paul because they're going to go with their expertise. They're not going to go with some guy who's in chains. <laughs> he's being taken to prison. So in, and so they tried to sail, uh, the wind is, is constantly and consistently against them, and they're not making any progress. And then a, a hurricane basically shows up. And so they're stuck in the wrong season in a boat with a hurricane coming down upon them. And Paul is praying. And in verse 20 uh, and 24, sorry, 24, an angel of the Lord appeared to Paul and told him that God was mercifully going to protect him and everybody on the ship. And so Paul has this word, this moment from an angel coming to him and saying, if you follow these instructions that I'm going to give you, you will be protected and everyone will be protected. But again, the men uh, didn't listen to Paul. And now because they hadn't listened to Paul, they found themselves in this mess where they're out on a ship in the middle of a hurricane. And they've got Paul on their, on their boat saying, be strong and courageous. The Lord is saying that we will make it through this safely while they're trying to do everything they can to keep the boat from going down. And so when it looked like eventually that the ship was going to run aground, the, the sailors tried to escape on a lifeboat. And this is verse 29 and 30. And Paul told the captain, this is super interesting, okay? And I, and, I, and I don't quite understand how all of this works, but I do want us to, I want to highlight it this morning because this is really interesting. Paul has a word from an angel that says this is what's going to happen. They say the, the storm comes, they're going to run aground, the ship is going to break up. The sailors naturally think, you know what we should do? We should get off of the boat onto the lifeboat. And as they get off, they're going to get off of the boat onto the lifeboat. Paul says, um, uh, so I've been talking with God and I just want you to know that if you get off of the boat, a lot of you are going to die. I'm going to make it, but a lot of you are going to die. This is like the scene from Braveheart. If you guys know what I'm, the one I'm talking about, I talked to God and I'm pretty sure that I'm going to make it. Um, if you don't listen to the word of the Lord, it could cause a lot of people to die. And so they listen to him in this moment. And they choose not to leave the boat. Um, if you will loose the boat, if you'll cut away the lifeboat, all on board will be saved. Um, okay, and so 
Another time, as the boat was going to run aground, again, as, as the boat is breaking up, the soldiers planned on killing the prisoners that they had on the ship. And this was another intervention where Paul said, if you kill, if you do this, a lot more people are going to lose their lives. But if you don't, if you remain faithful to the word of the Lord, every single one of us are going to make it out of this alive. And so the captain has these crazy choices, obviously, to go, do I, do I listen to what I know? Do I listen to this man who's, who's claiming to speak for God? But we've seen him We've seen the things that he's saying coming true. And so we're going to step towards that faith and we're going to believe him. And so they chose, one, not to leave on the lifeboat. They chose, two, to not execute the prisoners and they all stayed together. And so I think it's important for us to notice that in all of these, these moments in the story where things are switching directions, that it wasn't because of Paul's sailing skills or any of that. It seemed like it was this divine reality that Paul had a word from the Lord. And he, they kept listening to Paul, and they kept moving forward. And, and eventually, every, even though the boat completely broke up, eventually everybody made it to shore safely. So this powerful reality, and I think a straightforward reading of this passage, and this is the part that I kind of want to make you think about a little bit this morning, is a straightforward reading of this passage suggests that had the sailors not stayed on the ship, had the sailors not listened to Paul when they were going to execute the prisoners, had they not done these things, that God's promise would not have been fulfilled in the way that he said it would happen. Okay? Is everybody tracking with me in that? That there was this promise where God said, this is what I'm going to do, and then there was a secondary reality that said, but if you don't listen to the word of the Lord, it may not turn out this way. Okay, we got that, how that's working out there. So it seems that, that Paul had this settled reality that he was going to go to Rome and he was going to stand trial before the Roman government. And that God had fixed that in his future, but how he got to that place was still up for a bit of a journey, depending on his responses and people's responses throughout that entire time. Interesting, right? I think I, I find that fascinating. And you might be like, I don't know what you're getting at. <laughs> Why did we just spend all of that time? But it's, it, to me, super fascinating to realize that there, there was a number of variables that affected when and how Paul would end up in Rome, even though it was a fixed moment in his future. So my encouragement to you is this. This passage suggests that the future is partly settled and partly open. And that's a lot for us to think about, especially if we've been around church a long, 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 long time, because it's like the sovereignty of God and everything is set and your future is this and this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Should I put my hat on, babe? Okay. It's just getting a little distracting the amount of times I'm having to touch my hair. Ongoing, it's the ongoing reality of uh, uh, our, our morning. Should I wear a hat? Should I leave my hair out? Should I wear a hat? I think I want to wear a hat. No, leave your hat. It'll be great. Every time I lean over, I have hair, and then it's just a mess. I can't even think. Did any of that last 10 minutes make any coherent sense at all? Because <laughs> I have no idea. I, 
I don't know. So what does this mean? If this passage suggests that the future is partly settled but also partly open, what does it mean? It says, it means this, the beauty of the all-knowing of God isn't that he knows everything that is going to happen exactly as it is going to happen. It is that he knows everything that could possibly happen all at once and can determine based on his on his will to bring us to certain points. He can determine within the midst of an all-knowing God, knowing every, knowing infinite variables, how to bring us in his power and wisdom to the places that he has ordained or has set for us to be in the things that are set in our future. But it doesn't mean that every single step of the way is already predetermined. It's that he knows everything that could happen that makes him such a powerful and awe-inspiring God and is able to lead us through it. Paul would stand trial in Rome. And how that took place and the obedience throughout the entire process of that ship ride, we'll call it a ride, even though it was just a slowly progressing shipwreck, um, and his, their obedience throughout that whole process determined how Paul, his companions, and even those unrelated to his mission walked out and experienced what God was doing in that time. This is not the sovereignty of God that many of us want to hear where we just sort of set it and forget it and go, yes, God has decided it, therefore it is going to take place. This is much more of a Paul had a word of the Lord, but he also had to lean in to obedience and had to lean into a continual listening to the Lord to be guided through how to make and how to walk out the reality of what God had called forward in his life. And I know this is not a word for every single person in this room, but maybe it brings freedom to one or two of you, is that I just want you to hear that you are not a victim to God's sovereignty. And sometimes we feel like, God, you have done this, or this has happened because of this and this and this, and clearly this is what you have, you have chosen to make happen, and I am just riding this ride, and everything that's happening is because you have willed it, you have designed it, and you have made it happen, and I want you to hear this. You are not a victim. The things that have happened to you, the things that have gone sideways, the things that have hurt you, this is, you are not a victim to God's sovereignty. And I'm not teaching this, please. I'm not teaching this as a, to, for every single person here. I'm teaching this to maybe a very few of us who have wondered, God, why is my life, why is my wife? <laughs> the way that she is. I'm just resigned to your will, Lord. This must be your will. Why is my life turning out the way that it has? And a joking, even joking about my wife. Listen, I will get out of my marriage what I pour into my marriage, believing that how I show up in it affects what it becomes. And I am not a victim to God's sovereignty that has just said, oh, I assigned you this. This is your, what your marriage, your life, your career, your path, this is what it is. And you just get to live it out and suck it up. And if you're ever sad, that's just a point where you can worship me more, worship me better. My sovereignty, I'm like, wait, this is good. I'm not a victim. 
to God's sovereignty. I'm a participant in his sovereignty. And what he is doing, what he has ordained, what he is bringing about is that there are places where he will say, this is going to happen. And it is the infinite possibilities and paths that get you from here to there where I'm going to guide you. If you will listen, I'm going to guide you to that place and into that moment or to that interaction, to that person. Okay. So just, it's interesting to see that in this passage. Okay. Okay. Um, the prophetic, you're, you're wondering, prophetic, but he had this prophetic word, and how does the prophetic work, and what is all of that, and let's, let's not dive into a six-day teaching session on that right now, um, but let me just say this, when God is issuing a prophetic word for your life, or for my life, for a community of people, for the church as a whole, for a, for a uh, community of people like this for a nation or whatever it is. It is often not a, I am setting it and forgetting it. As I said, it is often his prophetic word is an invitation. A prophetic word is an invitation, not a, not a, not just something that he is dictating of like, okay, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this, when a prophetic word comes, it is an invitation to either participate in what God is inviting us to, it is an invitation to intercession for something that he's showing us is happening on the horizon, could happen in the world, could happen in reality. We are called to intercede for that. That prophetic word brings us to our knees and we get to say, how then God should we pray? Or how then God should we participate in this prophetic word that you're giving to us? Or Repentance. A prophetic word is often a call to repentance. And this is what you see so often in the Old Testament. The prophets would come and they would prophesy doom and destruction. And was it set in stone that that was absolutely going to happen no matter what? No, because it was a call to participation. How? Through repentance. So the prophetic still is working in our lives and in our community and in, in this life, but it is an invitation, not just a, oh, if I could get a prophetic word from the Lord, I will say it's going to happen, and therefore nothing at all can change that. We're invited by prophetic words to participate in the unfolding. We're invited in prophetic words to intercede. We're invited in prophetic words to repent and turn when we need to turn our hearts back to the Lord. Does that make sense? I love the picture of an unfolding future that is full of opportunities that cultivates a dependence upon God and a hunger for his presence and a hunger to hear his voice. We don't get to just be robots that live it out. We gotta be people who lean in and hear and listen to the whisper of the heart of the Lord that cultivate an intimacy with the spirit of God that we are listening and moving, listening and moving and listening and moving. And if I believe that my life is set and it doesn't matter, then whatever happens, happens and nothing I do makes any difference. My dependence on God is immediately broken. But if I believe that God has set these moments ahead of me prophetically that I'm gonna intersect with and he's gonna lead me to those moments based on my obedience and leaning into him throughout the journey. It changes the whole dynamic of how I look at my future and how I look at my present relationship with him. Right? Okay. All right. So dependence until the destination is what he's speaking over us. That brings us to Acts 28. Just a little interesting tidbit of Acts 27 that I saw in there of how fascinating it was that Paul had these, these set moments and how the journey to get there was so variable. Acts 28 once we were safely ashore, 
they, they washed up on shore. They found themselves on an island called Malta. Um, and Paul is there with the prisoners, with all of the soldiers. They're like, who is this guy? This is incredible. Everything that he spoke came true. We should have all died, but none of us died. This is amazing. We're here. And so Paul is with all of the survivors. He's making a fire. It says a viper driven out by the heat of this fire latches onto his hand and bites him. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and he suffered no ill effects. Verse 6 of 28, the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. So you have this moment, this miraculous moment where he should have been sick or, or worse and nothing happened to him. And so they're listening to him. They're watching him, the people on the island. And then he found out that one of the officials of the island, his father was sick in bed and suffering from a fever. And Paul went to him and see him. And after prayer, he placed his hands on him and he healed him. And when that had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were healed as well. And I love this reality. Again, going back to Paul's life being fully surrendered, bringing him to a place of faith that is unimaginable because he had that reality of like, my life is over. And so anything that happens, I'm just rooted into Jesus. And so because of that, the miraculous that's flowing from his life as these signs and wonders are there, not to make Paul into a God, but to confirm his message of the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus in his kingdom. And so they had this, this place where they were able to be on the island and taking care of people and being in the midst of that community. But after about three months, they put out to sea. A favorable wind came behind them. And before you know it, they were in Rome. Verse 15. And the brothers and sisters in Rome that had heard that, that this, this ship, that Paul and his companions were coming, they traveled uh, down and to meet Paul. And at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. We need people around our life. This is a moment of Paul's long journey where there are people showing up that he didn't expect to say, we've been waiting for you. We've been praying for you. We're so glad that you're here. And he comes to, the, to Rome, uh, shipwrecked and beaten and arrested. You guys know the whole story. And he comes and there's people there to just say, we, we're so glad that you're here. It's, we need people around our life. They show up powerfully for us. At the sight of these people, he was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Luke says, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And then a few days later, the Jewish leaders came to meet with Paul. So Paul meets with them and he begins to talk to them about all that he'd experienced and about this new sect of their religion called the way of Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah. And he said, have you guys, have you guys heard of me? Kind of a big deal. <laughs> and it says, it's, I love this. It says, uh, have you not received any letters from Judea concerning me? Or, we have not. None of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything about you. I skipped the word bad. Has said anything bad about you. Why? Because he's expecting this continued opposition. Why? Because everywhere he's gone, these folks have gone before him to stir up Descent, so that no matter where he went to preach, there was already a record or already people had already heard of Paul. And this is why he's wrong. He's wrong because of this. He's wrong because of this. He's wrong because of this. So whenever he would go to preach, he would be met by this opposition and fear. And yet here he shows up. And I was kidding about the whole like I'm famous thing. Here he shows up and he finds there hasn't been this seeding of people's hearts against the message of Jesus. 
And so there's great fruitfulness for the next two years that Paul is able to share with them and talk with them and say, this is the old, these, these, these scriptures are historical scriptures. Let me walk you through this and show you that Jesus is who he says he is and he is the Messiah. And they're able to listen and to hear and to open up their hearts to it, some of them. And then some of them are like, this is total rubbish. I don't know what you're talking about, right? It happens. And so, but we, we have not heard, we haven't heard anything bad about you, but we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking about this, this particular sect of Judaism, uh, the way of Jesus. And so they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And then if we jump down to verse 30, so Paul's just sharing Jesus with them. For two whole years, which would be four years that he's been in prison in total, besides the different times of travel and shipwreck and that sort of thing. For about a total of four years, but for two years in Rome, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be the, uh, with, sorry, with all boldness and without hindrance. And so he's coming to stand trial, and yet because of the delays that he's facing, again, he has this beautiful opportunity to pour into people and to continue to share the message of Jesus. But what is it that he ends up teaching about? It's the same thing that Jesus ended up teaching about, right where it began. So, before I jump into that, let me just talk to you a little bit about how we respond to this transformational community. So Paul ends his life or ends his journey preaching about the kingdom. And what can we extract, extract out of this is saying this, what does it look like to be a transformational community? What did it look like for them? But what does it look like for us? Transformational community, as I talked about from Acts 27, transformational community operates within a sense of sovereignty and responsibility, daily obedience, that the promise and the process work together. And to be a place of transformational community, we have to be people who understand that God has set before us certain things that we would say, we are called to this. We are assigned to this. He has put these moments and these times and these things before us. But there is also this openness to our journey with God that we can lose our way if we are not people who cultivate an obedience and a dependence to his word and to his word. His word being scripture as it teaches us how to walk in him and know him and also that word that we receive through worship and prayer and opening our spiritual ears to the guidance of the spirit of God that lives in us as followers of Jesus. And so that's what it means to be a transformational community who operates with a sense of both sovereignty but also daily reliance on him to know what we should do, what way we should walk, how we should respond, and what the call on us for this particular time and place in this moment in history is. So transformational community, the second thing I see in this, this, these chapters is this. Transformational community is preserved for his purposes. We have to recognize that God's preservation on Paul's life was because Paul was walking out his purposes. Was it, was it devoid of the fact that God loved Paul deeply? No, absolutely not. God takes care of us and watches over us because he loves us. But also, as we study these scriptures, you cannot help but have a deep sense of God 
protecting Paul because of the purposes and the things that God was doing through his life to be able to see the world come to know Jesus. I believe that a transformational community will be preserved for God's purposes. But that doesn't mean that it was easy for Paul. We've gone over this uh, enough times to be like, oh, it's so amazing how God protected Paul from the snake bite. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. What about the beating he took like two weeks prior? Where was, where was God when he was getting his butt kicked, right? Where was, where was God when he was being thrown into prison and forgotten for two years? Where was God? So was God about making it easy? No, God, but God was about saying, there is this moments that I need you to be present to be able to proclaim the goodness and the story of Jesus. And I will preserve you and protect you to those points and to those places. And I know that Paul would have been like, I could have used a lot more protection than just like the snake that one time, right? A little bit more would have been great. But look, this is not what we're, we're not asking God to like protect our life of ease with his hedge of protection that we pray on. Whatever that means. <laughs> it's awesome. I get it. I get the idea. But like we're, we're not saying, God, would you, would you make my life easy as I pursue the American dream? Please protect me and keep your hand over me and make everything safe and make the roads just open up before me so that I can have a life that I like. His protection over Paul was because Paul had devoted his life to the purposes of God. And I'm not, I'm not trying to paint a picture that says God's only going to protect you if you're doing the right things. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying this. We can take great faith to know that God, when we are, when we are hearing from you and we are walking out the purposes that we believe that you have put on our, before our life, and when we are laying down our lives, our egos, our hopes, our dreams, or whatever, and picking up yours, and we are walking through hard things that we are going to lean back in and say, but you are with me in this, even though it's extremely hard. And that I'm going to use this and you're going to use this, this story, this moment, this, this miracle, you're going to use this for your purposes. And you're going to be able to say, this is because of Jesus that I'm here, that I'm alive, that I'm able to do any of the things I'm doing. And I know that so many of you in this room, if I said, raise your hand, if you've experienced that, you would say, yeah, I'm here because of Jesus's hand of protection over me. Uh, all joking aside, his hedge of protection around me. I am here because of it. And I'm able to testify of the goodness of the Lord in that, in that story, right? And I believe that's what a, a, a transformational community is that we are saying, you have placed us in this place and we are moving forward knowing that you are with us even when it is difficult to do the things that you've called us to do. We need to be, to be able to really have the faith to lean back into that is that we have to remember that we are assigned here not for large crowds. We are not assigned here for success. We aren't assigned here for notoriety. We as a community of people are assigned here in this building, in this city, in this neighborhood, in this time to be salt and light for the kingdom and to declare the goodness of Jesus and the invitation of sons and daughters to come home to the Father through Jesus. Like that's what we are here to do. And so if we want to say we are preserved and protected, then let us make sure that we are preserved and protected and believing because of it is salt and light that we are trying to aim for, not just success and pats on the back and notoriety for any of us, whether that's us as a community or us as individuals. 
Transformational community brings supernatural impact wherever it finds itself. You see this happen with Paul. The snake is amazing. And I know that, and I believe that Luke recorded these stories of the, of the snake and of the healing of people who were sick to make sure that we understood the supernatural reality of what was taking place, that this is not just a really neat teaching about Jesus, but it is confirmed by signs and wonders. And so Paul is including this so that we can have that faith so that the people would be like, why did they listen? Why were their ears open? Because of the supernatural things that they saw taking place where they were like, I don't, I don't get it. You should be dead, but you're alive. I want to listen to you. And I believe that a, that a transformational community does have an element of that where we would walk in the supernatural. We would see signs and wonders, not so we get to experience really cool things, so that people have these awe moments to go, God is real. And how you have chosen to build your life on the foundation of Jesus is validated because I'm seeing things in and through around your life, both physical manifestations of miracles, but also the life of Jesus that's coming out of you that is in unexplainable. And I see it and I am drawn to it. And it is the confirmation that how you've chosen to live your life rooted on Jesus is truth. And there's life there and that will draw people in. Transformational community brings supernatural impact wherever they find itself. Paul was going to Rome, and he could have been like, I don't have time for all of this. I don't have time for all the people. we got to figure out where's the next boat. When are we going to do this? But instead, he said, here I am. Cheesy as it sounds. Here I am, God. Use me. But that's really what Paul did. He said, oh, there's someone who's sick. Let me go pray for them. Oh, there's people who are sick. Let us pray for them. Oh, let's create community here in the place that we find ourselves. It's easy for us to be so future-focused that we are not present in the little things, in the moments that are passing us by when we could be able to supernaturally intervene. And it doesn't have to be like an absolute miracle. A supernatural intervention is hearing the voice of God for a person and stepping in to that moment and being present in it and seeing, Jesus, what do you want to do? What do you want to do here? Because a miracle's not always going to be a snake shake, being shaken off of our hand. You don't know what the miracle is for the people that are around your life, but I promise you, you will never discover it if we're always looking at where we're not instead of being present where we are. And I believe that a transformational community has to bring supernatural impact wherever we find ourselves. And then the last thing is this, transformational community. I'm going to have the worship team come back up and and uh, make your way up here, you guys, you're fine. Transformational community expands the kingdom. This is what I, what I ended with at the end of, of chapter 28, is if you notice Paul's life, it says that he spent the last two years doing what? Teaching about the kingdom of Jesus. When you look at the end of Jesus' life, after he was resurrected, before he ascended into heaven, what did he do for the days that he was on earth? He traveled around teaching people about their individual salvation. No, he traveled around teaching people about the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. And so you see this reality that this transformational community expands the kingdom. Jesus ended his time on earth teaching the kingdom. Acts 1-3, we started with this verse. After his suffering, this is Jesus, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about what? About the kingdom of God. And the disciples naturally asked him then, when will this kingdom come? Because they were still believing in a physical kingdom that was to come. 
Same temptation that many of us face every day. <laughs> that was hallelujah. They asked him naturally, hey, Jesus, you're talking about the kingdom. You've spent the last 40 days talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. You came proclaiming the kingdom. John the Baptist came proclaiming the kingdom. Turn from, from, the, from this kingdom and, and hold on to the kingdom of heaven. And this is what you have taught. And they said, when will this kingdom come? Believing that we're looking forward to a physical kingdom that was to come. And Jesus answered them this way. When they came together, they asked him, Lord, when will this take place? When will you restore the kingdom in Israel? And Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the time or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will. When it happens, you will what? Receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The answer to the question, when will the kingdom come, was not an earthly political government that was assigned. It was the outpouring of the Spirit of God upon his sons and daughters, upon all flesh, on the day of Pentecost. That is the kingdom. And so this reality of him answering the question, when will the kingdom come? The kingdom will come when my power falls on you and you will be my witnesses everywhere that you go to the ends of the earth. Why? What did Jesus teach us to pray? Your kingdom, my kingdom come, your will be done. What did Jesus teach us to seek above all things? His kingdom. And where did Paul, of all the things that he could have finished teaching on, where did Paul finish teaching for three or for two years? Paul stayed there in his own rented home and he welcomed everybody that came to see him. And what did he do? He proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus. It isn't an earthly kingdom with earthly boundaries of kings and queens and leaders. We are not commissioned with building an earthly kingdom, but we are commissioned with walking out a spiritual kingdom where Jesus is honored as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, where every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is King. And we have... How to say. I love the reality of my personal relationship with Jesus and the salvation that we'll teach, probably teach about what that word means next year, I think. I think I might also do a teaching on kingdom. I love the personal aspect to it, but I believe that to be a transformational community of people, we have to regain this Jesus is king. Jesus is king. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. There is no name above him. There is no one above him. He is seated on the throne. And we are ambassadors of a kingdom that is established because Jesus completing the work that he was assigned to do on the cross and over death and evil and sin was raised up above every name, above every power, above every principality. And he was seated on the throne, which is where he currently resides. And when I come into Jesus, where do I reside? in him seated on the throne, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, seeing a kingdom that is ever expanding on this earth, taking place. And we get to be ambassadors of a king and a kingdom that is alive and well and flourishing and taking his name and his fame and his power and his authority and his throne to every corner of the earth.
It's all about kingdom, which means the king's domain. Are we kingdom-minded people, both corporately and individual? Who is king of our hearts? Who is king of our bodies? Who is king of our plans and purposes today? Who is king of our sexuality, of our marriages, of our singlehood? Who is king of our homes? Who is king of our mouths? Who is king of our minds? Who is king of our decisions? Who is king of how we act and interact with the culture around us? And who is king who commissions us as ambassadors? One of the things that happens when we only focus on the individual salvation of each individual person is that it individualizes Jesus's work and it makes it very small about me and him, which is beautiful. But Jesus didn't finish teaching that. He finished his life teaching kingdom. Paul didn't finish his life teaching that. He finished his life teaching kingdom. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. And he said, if you want to seek anything, seek what? My kingdom first. And if we're going to be a supernatural, transformative community of people, we have to ask, is Jesus king of our journey? Is he king of our story? Is he king of our hearts? Is he king of our bodies? Is he king of our plans and purposes? If we're not thinking kingdom and not thinking as kingdom ambassadors, we are not thinking transformationally enough. But a church that is Jesus-centered, a Jesus-centered community will also be a place, an embassy of the kingdom that we go out from. So as we take this time these next few minutes just to worship and to respond and to communion is available to us. I want there to be an exchange in this place of that I understand that so much of my journey in my personal spirituality is thinking about coming to Jesus at the cross. And that's what we've been taught in church. That's what we've been taught about communion. It's about the cross. It's about the cross. It's about the cross. Listen, the cross is not the destination that is going to unleash who you are and the future that God has for you. It is a completed work that has already accomplished that, but you're not going to find Jesus on the cross. You're not going to find Jesus in the tomb. Where are you going to find Jesus? On the throne. And so let's learn to be people, a transformational community who take communion, not as a moment just to remember the cross, but to remember what the cross accomplished so that when we see Jesus, we're not visiting him at the cross or in a tomb. We're visiting Jesus on the throne, King of kings, Lord of lords. We kneel our lives to him and say, you are king of my life. Salvation can be this one moment decision that I made, but your life will be marked not by what you kneeled at one altar one time, but how you kneel every day before him with the entirety of your being and say, you are my king. And I'm gonna learn to visit you at your throne. Amen? Yeah, it's good. That's the best way to get me to stop is to just clap. That's great, thank you. Let's take communion together. You guys are rad.
Surrender to the wind of your spirit with my heart in my head. 
Jesus, we're so thankful. You are our King, God. We remember that today. We thank you for the word that Ryan brought to us and we center ourselves back in total trust of you, our King. We are living for a kingdom that is not seen, but is unseen. And we just pray that this reality would be cemented in our hearts today in a new way, Father, and that you'd be showing us the kingdom that is, that is at hand all around us throughout our week, Father. We love you, Jesus. We worship you.